Welcome to Success the Last, a podcast that honestly explores the complicated topic of success. I'm your host, Jared Siegel. I'm a partner at DeLap and leader of our wealth advisory practice. During each episode, we're going to talk to a business owner, entrepreneur, real estate investor, or industry thought leader about their own experiences, insights, and observations as it pertains to life, business, finances, and ultimately fulfillment. Candidly, it can be lonely at the top. Our desire is to use this podcast to connect you with the ideas and resources so you can be better equipped to make more predictable, profitable, and rewarding decisions as you juggle the competing priorities of life, business, and money. Keep in mind, this is a podcast. It's not meant to be a replacement for your CPA or financial advisor, so be sure to check with the appropriate professionals before implementing any of the ideas. Welcome back to another episode of Success That Lasts. What if you were as time affluent as you are financially affluent? Deep down, didn't we all believe that life would get a little easier, a little less stressful, a little happier once we secured our finances? In today's episode, I'm not going to share my opinion on the topic, but rather the latest empirical data. What does the research say will deliver the greatest return on our time and increase the chance of experiencing true happiness? Essentially, what is an evidence-based approach to investing our time? To inform individuals in the fundamental human pursuit of happiness, researchers have begun to investigate optimal ways for people to manage their principal resources, time and money. As a professional planner, I spend a lot of time discussing how to allocate money. This podcast regularly discusses the topic of money and wealth. However, what's the point of being wealthy if you don't allocate your time in a way that really enhances your life? Time is even more finite than money. So I wanted to explore how we can invest our time to better support our values, goals, and overall life plan. The emerging work in this field suggests two critical takeaways. Happiness may be less contingent upon the amount of each resource available and more dependent upon the extent to which people focus on each resource, and perhaps even more so on how people choose to spend their time and money. It's clearly possible to be both rich and miserable, just like it's possible to be successful and unhappy. This paradox is what led me to dive into the most recent research examining how people should manage their two most precious resources, time and money, so that they could maximize their happiness. To prepare for this topic, I read some academic studies as well as reviewed some books I'd previously read on the topic. To cite those sources, the books included How Will You Measure Your Life by the late Clayton Christensen, Time Smart by Ashley Willens, Essentialism by Greg McEwen, and finally, 15 Secrets Successful People Know About Time Management by Kevin Cruz. Time and money serve as people's two most precious resources. Both are scarce, sometimes painfully so, and both can be saved, budgeted, wasted, or spent in pursuit of life's necessities and joys. Despite their similarities, time and money have distinct psychological properties with striking effects on human behavior. Over the past decade, a growing body of work has examined a seemingly simple question. How should people both think about and spend their time and money to maximize their well-being? Cutting to the chase, researchers found happiness is actually more time, not more money. This is according to Ashley Willen's research. She's a Harvard professor. In her most recent 2019 study looking at adults in 79 countries, when people invest too much of their time and energy into making more money, it's often because they assume that the extra cash will bring them greater happiness. But they're wrong. People with more free time are actually happier, healthier, 
and more productive than people who work all the time and make more money. Meeting and working with high net worth families has certainly shaped my understanding of this topic. Money is like soil. It's not good or bad. It's rather the seeds that are planted in the soil, aka your wealth, that determine if you can call it good or bad. Thus, is there a way to think about our wealth and our time to experience more meaningful joy? How can we think about our wealth in relationship to time? What metaphorical seeds can we be planting with our wealth? Author Morgan Housel said it this way, the ability to do what you want, when you want, with who you want, for as long as you want, is priceless. It's the highest dividend that money pays. That flexibility and control over your time is the unseen return on your wealth. Put slightly differently, money can fund time. Money can create time affluence, and this is actually supported in the data. What is time affluence? Time affluence is the feeling of having control and feeling like you have enough time on an everyday basis and it can promote happiness. However, according to a Gallup poll that surveyed 2.5 million Americans, 80% of Americans feel time poor. They report that they lack sufficient time to fulfill all of their responsibilities. What I thought was particularly interesting was that one's financial capacity didn't actually predict whether or not they reported being time poor. Wasn't technology supposed to deliver us more time? Wasn't it supposed to make life feel easier to manage? Well, just looking at today's hours versus those from history, to some extent, it has. Some of the best diary research suggests that in the US, men's leisure time has increased by six to nine hours a week over the past 50 years. Women's leisure time has risen by four to eight hours a week. Yet today, people generally report time poverty. Moreover, as income has increased, so does the feeling of being pressed for time. So though it appears technology has delivered more leisure time, it hasn't delivered more time affluency. So if 80% of Americans, independent of income, report being time poor, let's unpack time poverty. People who are time poor are less happy, less productive, and more stressed out. They exercise less, eat fattier foods, and have higher incidence of cardiovascular disease. However, wealth can actually further exacerbate the problem too at times. There's more to manage, more complexity, more to worry about, more noise, more choices, more options, and moreover, the stakes are higher. There's an increased freedom that people often experience, and this autonomy often comes with even higher expectations of always being on and prioritizing your business. Thinking about wealth while you're trying to relax induces a kind of panic because feelings of time poverty are caused by how well activities fit together in our mind. If we're trying to be a committed parent while we simultaneously obsess over our most recent Bitcoin gamble, we can't help but peek. Check prices, how did the market do? However, it might not be checking the market for the day, but rather obsessing about our next real estate deal instead of being present with our child. This conflict makes us feel like a bad parent. Why am I thinking about money and business while I'm trying to hang out with my kid? Researcher Bridget Schultz coined the phrase time confetti. Time confetti is the little bits of seconds and minutes lost to unproductive multitasking. Each bit alone doesn't seem all that bad, but collectively though, all that confetti adds up to something more pernicious than you might expect. When we're trying to enjoy leisure or we're trying to focus productively on work, our minds are being pulled in many different directions that make us feel stressed out and overwhelmed. To the extent our technology is distracting us, pulling us out of the present and undermining our ability to enjoy leisure, it's also creating all this tension between the various aspects of our life and the things that we could or should be doing. 
This is a major driver of time poverty, time confetti, and our relationship with technology is to blame. Today, technology has lowered the barrier for others to share their opinions about what we should be focusing on. It's not just information overload, it's opinion overload. Moreover, as Tristan Harris pointed out in his documentary, The Social Dilemma, these tech companies have used neuroscience to design interfaces and technology that is distracting, disruptive, and pulls us back in time and time again. If you're interested, I'll link to an article written by Tristan called How to Unhijack Your Mind from Your iPhone, which is an easy, actionable first step to redefine a healthier relationship with technology. So getting back to how we invest our time, the late Harvard professor, Clayton Christensen identified another reason it's easy to allocate our time in suboptimal ways. He said, investing time and energy in relationships with your spouse and children typically doesn't offer the same immediate sense of achievement. Kids misbehave every day. It's really not until 20 years down the road when you can put your hands on your hips and say, I raised a good son or a good daughter. You can neglect your relationship with your spouse, and on a day-to-day -day basis, it doesn't seem as if things are deteriorating. People who are driven to excel have this unconscious propensity to underinvest in their families and overinvest in their careers. Money often becomes the scoreboard. Even though intimate and loving relationships with our family are the most powerful and enduring sources of happiness, relationships are intangible and tough to measure. Time is intangible and difficult to value. However, staying late at the office to close the next big deal is often quite tangible, and it's often easy to quantify. The rewards are just much more immediate. In our lives, there are going to be constant demands for our time and attention. How are we going to decide which of those demands gets our resources? The trap that many of us fall into is we allocate our time to whoever screams the loudest and our talents to whoever offers us the fastest reward. And that's a dangerous way to build a strategy. And the truth is, if you defer investing your time and energy until you see what you need to do, chances are it'll already be too late. The ancient Stoic, Seneca, famously stated, focusing on time is not selfish. People are frugal guarding their personal property, but as soon as it comes to squandering time, they're the most wasteful of the one thing in which it is right to be stingy. Though 2,000 years old, Seneca's insights are supported by the most recent research. As a society, we're completely strapped for time because we don't know how to value it. For example, some of the new research actually shows an inverse relationship between wealth and time affluency, meaning the more wealth one has often corresponds with more time poverty. That's actually not all that surprising when you look at these studies. In one study of 818 millionaires, nearly 50% spent no money at all delegating the tasks that they didn't actually like. The real issue to reducing time poverty and unhappiness isn't financial. It's psychological. We err. We simply believe more wealth will make our lives better. Even individuals with net worths over 10 million respond that they think they need to increase their net worth dramatically to be even happier. Ashley Willens is a Harvard professor. Her research clarifies the direction of the observed associations between valuing time and money and happiness, showing that valuing time over money uniquely contributes to well-being, in part by encouraging intrinsic motivation. Together, this work sheds light on whether and when and how valuing time shapes happiness. Some of Willen's research has found that there are behavioral factors that influence time versus money decisions. Cognitive biases make money seem like a more appealing choice than time. For example, people generally think that being busy signals a higher status. 
The desire to feel important is a powerful motivator and often misleads us to allocate our time in the wrong way. Willen's research also found that people feel more guilty about spending money to have more time than they do spending money on material things. Another issue is a planning fallacy called future time slack. It's the belief we'll have more time in the future than we do in the present. We decide to make some sacrifices now with the promise of enjoying more time later. Of course, when the future comes, we don't have any more time. Rinse and repeat over and over again. Time is much harder to measure than money. We often don't think about time in the same way we think about money. It's also that we're bad at measuring and accounting for those small losses of time. We need to think about how one decision that we make, like where we live, will accrue time costs over the weeks and months that are not trivial. They feel trivial in the moment, so we discount them. But then over the course of weeks and months and even years, they're really not trivial, and they contribute to why we feel so stressed. Take, for example, where we decide to live relative to one's work. Let's say you're considering two homes. You decide for the bigger, nicer home, but it puts you 20 minutes further from the office. If you decide to commute those 20 extra minutes each way, it doesn't sound like much, but it ends up being 166 extra hours a year. That's 20 eight-hour days of PTO. That's not trivial. In that example, what did you functionally sell those 166 hours for? What did you trade your time for? We're really sensitive to a small loss of money and way less sensitive to a small loss of time. One of the longest known studies on happiness dates back to 1938. Scientists started following 268 Harvard sophomores. The study has been expanded from the original cohorts to their offspring as well. This 80 plus year study has been a treasure trove of insights. One of the study's more recent updates states, the surprising finding is that our relationships and how happy we are in our relationships has a powerful influence on our health. Close relationships, more than money or fame, are what keep people happy throughout their lives. Those ties protect people from life's discontents, help to delay mental and physical decline, and are a better predictor of long and happy lives than social class, IQ, or even genes. The people who were most satisfied in their relationships at age 50 were also the healthiest at age 80. One of the study's researchers, Robert Waldinger, stated, Loneliness kills. It's as powerful as smoking and alcoholism. Good relationships don't just protect our bodies. They protect our brains. How scary an insight, particularly within the backdrop of a global pandemic that's isolated millions of people around the country. Wealth can isolate too. Author and political scientist Robert Putnam wrote in his book Bowling Alone about how Americans started accumulating more financial capital but it steadily replaced social capital. So what can we actually do to focus more on maximizing our time to experience greater joy? In her book, Time Smart, Willens suggests four strategies to alleviate the feeling of being time poor. They include prioritizing time over money, blocking off leisure time, outsourcing unwanted tasks, and considering leisure time a status symbol just as essential as working. So let's unpack these one by one. What does prioritizing time over money look like? Well, money can be replaced while time cannot. So focus on the number, 1,440. That's the number of minutes available in any given day. Once you know just how valuable a resource time can be, you can start to focus on how to be more effective in managing it. Whereas thinking about time increases happiness through motivating social connections, 
Thinking about money decreases happiness by motivating people to work more and socialize less. Within the category of prioritizing time over money, volunteering comes up. Great stress and unhappiness stem from the feeling of being time-constrained. And when people feel their time is constrained, they become less generous with it. However, when people give away their time by spending it on others, they actually feel as though they have more of it. Volunteering actually gives us the feeling and experience of time affluency. The second suggestion was blocking off leisure time. However, thinking about the economic value of our leisure time can actually undermine our ability to enjoy it, especially if it's not living up to our perfect ideals in our minds in real time. We have to disconnect the experience from money, since that doesn't adequately measure its value. A picture may be worth a thousand words, but a memory is priceless. In my own life, it was a four-week trip to Europe with my family that might be one of the most treasured memories I have. Before the trip, I was anxious. Anxious about that much time away from the office, the cost, the trains, the bags, the humidity, and a transatlantic flight with my three kids and wife. However, the trip was rich, rewarding, and full of memories that will cherish forever. So blocking off leisure time is a great way to focus on utilizing time in a way that delivers happiness. The third tip is outsourcing unwanted tasks. Venture capitalists often advise startups to outsource work that isn't a core to their entrepreneurial idea so they can focus on mission-critical tasks. What is it in your own life that you don't love, that you could outsource to others? Some things in life feel light, while other things in life feel heavy. You can outsource the heavy things that deplete your energy. There's all kinds of services that do this. House cleaning, landscaping, Grocery delivery, meal prep kits, property management. For some wealthy families, a multifamily office can be a great way to ensure the wealth is positioned in a way to serve the family versus being a burden, a full-time job of serving the wealth. The fourth tactic offered by Willens is to consider leisure time a status symbol just as essential as working. According to Willens research, longer periods of rest are key to our happiness, yet Many workers don't take enough time off. More than 700 million vacation days go unused each year. That's 5.6 billion hours that could have been spent relaxing rather than working. I suspect that this trend is even more notable for people that own businesses, where the buck stops with them, where there really isn't necessarily ever true time off, or where they can truly unplug. In his book Essentialism, Greg McEwen states, what if we stop celebrating being busy as a measurement of importance? What if instead we celebrated how much time we'd spent listening, pondering, meditating, and enjoying time with the most important people in our lives? So there you have it. That's Willen's list. Prioritizing time over money, blocking off leisure time, outsourcing unwanted tasks, and considering leisure time a status symbol just as essential as working. I once heard an author say, that he writes to think versus thinks to write. And I've kind of experienced that with this podcast. As I've spent this time pondering about time, money, and success, I believe one of the main metrics that will truly matter to my life are the individuals whom I'm able to help one by one to positively impact. It obviously starts with my family, but extends to my team at the firm and to the families I'm blessed to call clients. When Warren Buffett was once asked about success, he put it this way. Basically, when you get to my age, 
You really measure success in life by how many people you want to have love you actually do. So hopefully you found this evidence-based approach to investing time to increase happiness thought-provoking. Money obviously matters, but for what? Are you using your money to create more time affluence? How can you be as shrewd with your time as you are with your finances? How can you be more accurate in how you value time, even if it comes at the expense of a few extra dollars? If this topic is of interest to you, feel free to reach out to me. I'd love the conversation. I went through a facilitated calendar budgeting exercise about two years ago that really changed my life. If we budget for our households or we budget for our offices, maybe we count calories for our health. Why wouldn't we budget for the most scarce resource of them all, our time? We'll be back next week with another great topic designed to create clarity and confidence for owner decisions. So until then, be well.